108 and it's on page 612. A song, a psalm of David. My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Sechem and measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin, on Edom I toss my sandal, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God we shall gain the victory, and he shall trample down our enemies. Thank you, Bethany, for reading. Uh, please keep that passage open as we come to God's Word. If we haven't met, my name is Gideon, and I'm a new member of the staff team here at All Saints, and it's great to be here, and a part of the church family. Uh, before we come to God's Word, let me pray for us, and ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we can gather together this evening uh, to sing your praises. As we come to your word, we thank you because your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, Heavenly Father, as I speak to us from this passage this evening, pray that by your spirit you would be at work, uh, planting your word deep down in our hearts, uh, changing us to be more like Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do look up. Sorry, my voice is a bit croaky from all the singing, so please do bear with me. I'll just have some water before I start. Mm. So we come to Psalm 108 this evening. Um, Psalm 108. And it's actually a combination of um, the endings of Psalm 57 and 60. Uh, earlier Psalms, both composed by David, uh, detailing events that occurred at some point in his life. See, both Psalms, 57 and 60, were, were written under dire circumstances in David's life. And yet, both Psalms end in praise of God. And it's these bits of praise of Psalm 57 and 60 that combine to give us Psalm 108. And so that's the context to this Psalm, that's the background to it. David's life is in danger. And yet, it's, it's striking that the words that begin this psalm is not of a military strategy or a clever plan of how David's going to get out of this tricky situation. Rather, the words that begin this psalm in verse 1 is of David declaring that his heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, O God. You see, David knows that true human strength comes not 
comes from not our physical might or the things we might do or the people that surround us. Rather, true strength, the true strength of who we are, the ability to live life well, comes from the inside. How we are on the inside will determine how we respond to life circumstances. And because David is steadfast on the inside, in his heart, we see two responses. Firstly, we see a heart that responds in praise. And secondly, we see a heart that responds in prayer. A heart that responds in praise and a heart that responds in prayer. So firstly, a steadfast heart can sing God's praises even in the trials of life. A steadfast heart can sing God's praises even in the trials of life. Verse 1, my heart, O God, is steadfast. You see, like David, when the Bible speaks of the human heart, um, it's speaking of more than just the the physical organ that pumps out our blood, or the the romantic place where Cupid shoots the arrow of love. When the Bible speaks of the human heart, it, it means our inner being, our spiritual life, where our loves and desires dwell. You know, a bit like a a, a laptop or computer. Um, <coughs> sorry. Its true operating capacity isn't the stuff you see on the outside. Rather, it's, it's on the inside, isn't it? That's what really matters. It tells you its power and its performance capabilities. And that's kind of similar. When the Bible speaks of the human heart, it's speak, speaking of our true operating capacity. What makes us tick? And so when David declares, my heart, O God, is steadfast, he's saying my inner being, my spiritual life, my my true operating environment is steadfast, O God. And it's this inequality of David's life that drives his praise to God, even in the trials of his life. Verse 1, I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake harp and lyre, I'll awaken the dawn. David is saying, with all my being, and my glory, with the best of me, I'll sing and make music to the Lord, right from the core of who I am. I will enlist everything at my disposal to praise God, even creation. David doesn't stop there. Verse 3, I'll praise you, Lord, among the nation. I will sing of you among the peoples. David was probably hiding in a cave when he wrote this psalm, probably being chased by Saul and his army. What right did David have to dream of praising God among the nations whilst hiding in a cave on the run from his enemies? You'd be forgiven for saying to David, why not get sorted first, you know? Why not find your way out of this cave, prioritise your safety and freedom before you, you even dream of praising God among the nations and declaring his glory over all the earth? I guess one might think similarly of Christians throughout history and Christians today who who do the work of spreading the gospel in countries where they face persecution. Why do Christians engage in evangelism in countries where the odds seem stacked against them when they face persecution for their faith and sometimes even death? What would make a person want to sing God's praise in these circumstances? Well, I think just like David in this psalm, amongst many other things, Christians throughout history 
And Christians today confidently sing God's praises among the nations because they know that's where all history is headed. They know that one day, verse 5, the whole earth will declare God's glory. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set out on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the the slave trade. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you'll get neither. History is marching towards that glorious day when all earth will declare God's glory. And so let's aim for that. As we engage in evangelism, we are on the right side of history. As people come to a personal relationship with God, every day God's kingdom grows is a day he's being glorified and nothing can stop it from happening. So join in. Human glory will fade, won't it? Nations will rise and nations will fall. On a personal scale, human strength will fade, human beauty and intellect will fade. But God's glory, God's glory just keeps growing every day. And one day it will fill the whole earth again. Praise God among the nations. Why? Well, because that's where all of history is headed. So join in. Join in. What do we learn from David in this psalm? Well, we see that a steadfast heart can and does lead to a heart for evangelism, even when the circumstances are not ideal. We won't be busy waiting for perfect conditions. Rather, our heart will desire to declare God's glory, come what may. I wonder how this shapes our mission and evangelism. Not just on a church scale, but also on the individual scale. Are we waiting for perfect conditions to praise God amongst the nations? Or like the psalmist, will our desire always be to sing God's praises, regardless of our circumstances? It's a good question to be thinking about, isn't it? We carry on. Verse 4. For great is your love, Higher than the heavens. God deserves the praises of the whole earth and the heavens because of who he is. The whole earth will one day declare God's glory because he deserves it. Ever thought about that? Even if God had never done anything for us, he would still deserve all the praise purely because of who he is. Verse 4 wonderfully describes God's love. God's love is higher than the heavens. If you've ever sat in the window seat of, a, of an aeroplane um, when it's at cruising altitude, especially during the daytime, um, all you can see is the clouds and the skies. And as if the plane went up and up for miles and miles, all you would be able to see is the blue ocean sky. There's no way of quantifying or measuring what you can see. God's love is like that, but infinitely more. You can't measure it. It just keeps going. 
And because his love is infinite, it never runs out. He never stops being patient with us. He never stops being kind to us. He never stops loving us. And because of this, verse 4, his faithfulness, his, his commitment to us goes on forever. Ever thought about that? All those promises that God has made to you in the Bible, he's going to keep them. God never breaks his promises. Ever. That's why David can declare, my heart is steadfast, O God. Why? Well, because of your great and steadfast love, which never fails, which never runs out. The steadfast heart will sing praises to God, even when the tough times come, because of who God is and all that he has done. Uh, Secondly, a steadfast heart can pray to God, even in the trials of life. God's great love means we can come to him not just in praise, but also in prayer for the promise of deliverance. Verses 5 to 6 is a prayer. Uh, David turns from praise to prayer. Uh, David is realistic about his situation. And so should we when others suffer. We live in a fallen and broken world. Suffering isn't easy. Being oppressed is hard. We read of the many laments in the Psalms as David cries out to God, Save me, O God. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. And yes, and though the Christian can sing a song of praise to God in the trials of life, the Christian will also cry out to God in prayer for his deliverance in the trials of life. Open Doors, the organisation that helps persecuted Christians around the world, estimates that every day, 14 Nigerians are killed for following Jesus. Every day, 14 Nigerians are killed for following Jesus. How do you feel when you hear that? When you hear that, all all you want to do is come before God in prayer and pray that he would bring justice and deliverance to his people. It's appropriate. When persecution comes... The Lord's people will not panic. Rather, with a steadfast heart, we will pray for God to deliver his people. We will pray to God to deliver his people because he can deliver his people. God has absolute supremacy over the nations. Verses 7 to 9 paints a picture of this. Shechem and Succoth were rival nations to Israel. And here we see God parceling them out like... Monopoly pieces, measuring the lands as it suits him. The mighty nations and forces that stand against God today are no more than a wash basin in his sight, like a sink that you brush your teeth in in his sight. No more than a place, sorry, where he can toss his sandals. You know when you get home and you kick off your shoes or your sandals into the corner of the entrance. That's how God treats the enemies of his people like the corner of the entrance in which we toss our sandals. One day, the enemies of God's people will be put in their place. I wonder what nations or forces come to your mind as you hear this. Uh, No matter how strong, uh, no matter how powerful they may seem, if they stand against God, then one day, 
tossed like a sandal into the corner. David's heart is steadfast in prayer because he has the utmost confidence in God who delivers those he loves. The utmost confidence in a God who is mighty over the enemies of these people. And lastly, a steadfast heart can pray to God because, well, it's confident that it hasn't been rejected by God. Of course, our greatest need is to be made right with God, isn't it? And yet, verse 11, we were once God's enemies because of our sin. If not for Jesus, then the answer to this question would be yes, but no longer. We have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus and the shedding of his blood. We have peace with God. We're no longer rejected. And so verse 12, we are assured of his great help against the enemy. And because of this, the Christian believer always fights the enemy from a position of strength, never fearing the power of sin or even death. Why? Well, because we have the Lord Jesus on our side who has assured us victory. If you're here this evening and you have put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, then won't you know that whatever you're going through, God has not rejected you. If you're here this evening and you feel like there are fortified cities of sin in your heart that stand against God that places your heart into bitterness malice, jealousy, anger, pride whatever it may be would you know this evening that there is no spiritual stronghold that can withstand the awesome power of Jesus Christ victory, verse 13 belongs to him and to you also I pray that you would know this victory in your life. That you would know his deliverance from sin. If there's anything you leave here with this evening, I hope it's not, I've got to go away and make my heart steadfast. Uh, These are a list of things I've got to do. That's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel. The gospel is not about what we do for ourselves. Rather, the gospel is always what the Lord Jesus has done for us. How he has trampled over our enemies of sin and death. You see, a steadfast heart never comes from anything we can do for ourselves. Anything good that happens in our lives is always the Lord's work. The inner strength foundation that enables David to look to God and sing praises, come what may, because of God's work in his heart. As he declares in an earlier psalm, Psalm 10, verse 17, the Lord hears the desire of the afflicted and strengthens their heart. Or that famous verse in in Psalm 51, where David declares, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The renewing and strengthening of our heart is always God's work. And so let's praise him for all that he's done. Let's praise him. Let's pray that he will continue to do so. And yet, in the Lord's mysterious providence, uh, the prompting of his Holy Spirit, we can engage in discipling our hearts too. 
Christian growth, yes, is God's work, and yet he calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, to be active in our discipleship. So I wonder how verse 1 shapes us in our discipleship. In our Christian discipleship, where do we primarily focus? As we come to church on Sundays, as we spend time together midweek in our Bible studies, TNG as you head off for the holidays and summer camps to hear talks. What do you think is primarily being discipled? Do we have a tendency to focus on on discipling our minds? Yes, rightly so. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. However, every time we come to understanding God's word, we, we ultimately want his word to be planted to be drilled down, deep down into our hearts, into our souls, forming and shaping our inner beings where true change takes place. Uh, We don't just want to know the gospel in our heads. Uh, We want to know the gospel in our hearts. Uh, We want our hearts to know of God's love and what he's done for us so that come what may, uh, when the going gets tough, our hearts, the place where it really matters can say, I know of God's love and what he's done for me. And so I am steadfast. I wonder what it might look like under God's help to to disciple our hearts. Well, I guess it looks like this, doesn't it? We're kind of already doing it. As As we come to church to fellowship, to encourage each other in songs of praise, as we pray together, as we hear God's word proclaimed, God is at work by his spirit tilling the soil of our hearts to receive his life-giving words. As we gather together as God's people, he's at work by his spirit, strengthening our hearts. I guess it also looks like the time we spend in our personal Bible reading. I think a good question to have in our minds as we do so is this. When we open God's word to read it, do we only aim at discipling our minds, our heads, Or do we also aim at discipling our hearts? Uh, You might be thinking, getting through the Bible, uh, my Bible reading plan is hard enough each day or whenever I get round to it on a weekly basis. Especially after the the slog of four chapters. You feel fatigued mentally. You you pray for a few minutes trying to connect uh, the vague passages about the temple measurements to your your life. It's, It's hard, isn't it? I've been there as well. Yeah, and I think the Bible reading, however, is not always about how much we read. I think, rather, it's about how we read it. I don't think it's always about quantity, but rather I think it's more about quality. Personally, I found slimming down what I read in my quiet times helpful. Sometimes less can be more. All scriptures, God breathed. So however much we read, even if it's just a few precious verses, if we spend time mulling it over, meditating over it, praying that God would connect it with our hearts, then it's worth it. Meditating. I I know some of us might think of Eastern philosophy and that kind of stuff. But that's not what Christian meditation is all about. That's what David means in Psalm 1 when he says... Blessed is the man who meditates on God's law. 
rather than emptying your mind, as Eastern philosophy or, or, or Buddhism would suggest. Uh, Christian meditation is about filling our minds with the truth of Scripture. As we slow down and turn to God's word in our minds, it slowly begins to make an impact in our, in our, in our hearts. You know, like a, like a bee that lingers over a flower for a long time, trying to suck out all the goodness. So it's the case when we take time now and again to meditate on God's word so that it drips down deep into our hearts. In your quiet time, why not take a verse that stands out to you and maybe sometimes spend a few minutes meditating upon it. The five to ten quality minutes spent seeking to apply God's word to our heart is more precious than 50 minutes to an hour spent merely accumulating knowledge about it. Uh, we're all different, of course, and it'll be a judgment call for us, how the Lord's made us. But we want to be aiming for quality, not quantity. Uh, for some of us, personal Bible reading might seem out of the question for now, and, and all we can do is come to church on a Sunday. Why not pray and ask, uh, in God's good timing, uh, he would give us the capacity and desire to spend time praying and reading his word. Uh, we can always start small. It takes a little kindling to, to turn the fire into a roaring blaze. Every time you open God's word and read it, his word never goes out empty. Don't miss out. As I conclude, uh, the psalmist says, My heart is steadfast, O God. And not because of anything he does, but rather David can claim a steadfast heart because of who God is and all that he's done for him. Give us a moment of quiet and I'll pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the power of your word to shape not just our minds but our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of faith, for the work you've already done in our hearts, bringing us to know you, where it truly matters. Heavenly Father, as we, as we hear your word, as we think about it, as we meditate upon it, we ask, Lord, by your spirit, would you be at work, planting your word deep down in our hearts, so that come what may, in the trials of life, when the going gets tough, our hearts, just like David, can declare, I am steadfast, O Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.